I have your full attention. Screw you. Hello to Yogi, hello to Boo Boo, hello to Scooby Doo, Barney and Bradley. Don't forget your goat leggings. Well, par me all over the place. There's always magic at the movies. What's in the basket? I, this is fun because you guys already know this because I told this to you yesterday, but I was at Thanksgiving dinner and my cousin couldn't remember Martin Short's name, so he described him as the guy who looks like Clay Aiken who was Jack Frost, which is referring to Martin Short's role in The Santa Claus 3. Well, I mean, it's an iconic role, obviously. That's true. And my aunt was like, oh, he doesn't look like Clay Aiken. He doesn't look like Clay Aiken at all. And then my cousin pulled up like a side-by-side picture of Martin Short in like waxy like People magazine cover Clay Aiken. And I was like, oh, a little damning. <laughs> It's the kind of comparison that is accurate, but you don't want to think about it. It's just, it's Clay Aiken looking into a mirror of his own future. Oh, well, that's just the risk you take being a white man. <laughs> well, I nearly broke my fucking knuckle this week. Um, I was running to catch my train and just, I don't know what was happening with my arms, but just like whacked it into a metal fence post. And I was like... Ow, that hurt, but it kept running because I got to get my train because the trains in this city are, I'm going to say, bullshit. So I made it to my train and then I was cradling my hand. I'm like, huh, this isn't good. This is not good because it's like throbbing and swelling. I'm like, hmm. I didn't break it, but it was a close run thing. Thank God I didn't, because imagine how that would affect my podcasting abilities. Uh, well, I do think we have to address Baby Yoda. Yeah. Because <laughs> we have, in the past, been quite firmly anti-Disney+, and will continue to be so in the future. But yep. I have to acknowledge, I guess, the fact that I am fully on the Baby Yoda train. Um, like, I'm, I'm sold. So that's my own, you know, moral quandary to deal with, but... Your own cross to bear. <laughs> We're kind of like Werner Herzog. We've never... We don't agree with disney we don't watch disney content we have no idea what anyone's talking about when they talk about disney content but we're all about baby yoda yeah i do appreciate very much that he's entirely practical i don't want to use the other p word the one that you know will send candace into a tizzy but <laughs> um <laughs> he wouldn't have the same charm if he were cgi so they they did the right thing and from the sounds of it, they did it because of Werner Herzog saying they were cowards. So another reason he's a hero, I guess. Uh, he's really the hero in this situation. Yeah. As he is in most situations. I also like how it gets to chap maybe Spielberg's ass a little bit. How now everybody's joking about that E.T. commercial where he, he visits Elliot for Christmas. And it's like people on Twitter were talking about like their kids don't know who E.T. is. And, you know. <laughs> making comparison to the simpsons clip that was very funny to me because i spielberg and all spielberg related and derived media needs to be taken down six to eight to 27 pegs every couple months in order to keep him from swallowing the whole earth i mean we've made my my stance on et very clear i do love that movie but uh that commercial again they it's a cgi et and it's gross and it looks like shit and i hate it and if they'd used a puppet oh 
I said it. But if they'd used a puppet like they did for Baby Yoda, maybe it would have been a bit better. Probably not, but who knows. When somebody was on Twitter was like, is there a baby E.T.? And then somebody else was like, oh boy, do I have a defunct Universal Studios ride for you. <laughs> but also in in the, in the um, E.T., isn't E.T. like quite old in his alien years? Like he has a job and he's a botanist. Yeah. And like, he has a job. <laughs> He has a job. No, he's got a full job. That's what he does on the spaceship. That's why he's like into plants. I don't. I don't remember any of this because the last time I saw ET, I think I was a literal child who didn't understand um, how maturity works. Well, I guess we're gonna have to fucking watch ET. Yeah, I then. think we are. All right, I'm. I'm here for that. I think at this point we ha- we can say that Tiff has like a thing. Don't make this for... weird. I'm not gonna say. Uh, it, it's not like a Candace thing <laughs> for them, but she definitely has a, a certain soft spot for small puppet creatures like E.T., like Gizmo from Gremlins, like Baby Yoda. Yeah. That's just, that's your little special Like Mickey Rooney. guys. (laughs) Mickey Rooney. (laughs) But anyway, puppets, I guess we can concede that they're better than CGI. Yes, I would agree with that. Do we love them on the same level as Candace? No. No one ever could. No one ever could. (laughs) Very true. I'm glad you can admit that. I'm glad you're, you're a big enough man to admit that. It's brave. Shall we get into this season of Merry? Can you believe this? It's Christmas Eve, and we got orders to bring in Santa Claus. Hey, Miller, what do you think the captain would do if we brought in the real one? He was never satisfied. He'd send us back out to pick up the Easter Bunny. <laughs> Peter Pan, maybe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to What's in the Basket. Today in the Basket, we will be covering two films. Well, basically, it's one film and a half. Uh, We're covering 1984's Silent Night, Deadly Night, and its sequel, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. I'm Amelia, and with me is Todd. Hi. And Candace. Hello. And this is the second installment of our Christmas season, or I should say holiday season. We're non-denominational in this podcast. But um, I don't know how festive we can call this particular offering. <laughs> it's fine. We're really going back to the podcast roots after a season of like actual classics and uh, going straight back to Basket yeah. Case Origins with this offering. Yeah. This is a film, uh, a pair of films, a film and a half, as Amelia said, that are... um. There's a lot going on in these ones, and uh, and quality is not one of the things going on. No, no. <laughs> there are some good Christmas slashers. I would like one day to do an episode on Black Christmas, for example, the original, not either of the remakes. Um, but this is not one of them, or or two of them, or two and a half, one and a half. It's it's <laughs> they're bad. They're bad. They're movies. very bad. All right. So essentially, this is a Christmas themed horror uh slasher film that opens on a family going to visit the grandfather at christmas time who's basically in a catatonic state and i'd say not worth visiting um and then <laughs> oh may, 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 may interrupt may interrupt may interrupt i would just like to note that where grandpa is institutionalized is literally called utah mental facility <laughs> that's the full name of this establishment well Continue. i mean what else would they have in utah what else would they call it warren jeff's Fun time getaway palace? I don't know. I would hope for something a little bit more scenic. 
like what's where, where's michael myers like he's at like the haddonfield hospital or whatever like some utah mental facility is just very tommy was that it's just it's like something tommy would name an institution anyway continue, continue uh on their way home they get carjacked by a man dressed as santa claus for seemingly no gain he just comes in and he kills there's two kids and two parents and the the baby is extremely ugly. We talked about ugly babies last week with Bachelor Mother. This is another very ugly baby. And so, yeah, he kills the parents, leaves them as orphans. The two children are taken to a convent, I assume, some kind of orphanage run by nuns who are crazy. It's run by Mother Superior, who's a crazy disciplinarian and has some weird ideas about sex and uh, brutalism. And takes that out on the elder child who's Billy, who's the anti-hero of this story, I guess. Much like in your Marvel films, we have an anti-hero here. <laughs> uh, and lots of things happen. He gets more and more triggered by Christmas as a holiday, as we all do. Am I right? Going to the shops at Christmas. Isn't that horrifying? <laughs> um, he gets a job at a store falls in love with a girl who shows little to no interest in him uh, and then goes on a killing rampage after he's triggered one too many times. And that's essentially the plot of the first one. The second one, basically the same plot because they show 95% of the first film in the second film as flashbacks, but it focuses on the younger child, the ugly baby, Ricky, and he basically also is a killer. It takes him a bit longer. I don't know. The timeline's a bit foggy in the second one about when everything happens. But yeah, essentially he um, goes crazy and kills everyone too. Um, We'll get further into it as we talk about the films, but that's a light summary. These movies are, we've seen them upwards of like five times each at this point, I would say. And I don't know what to make of them. I do have one thing I found. The guy who directed Silent Night, Deadly Night, the first movie, Charles Edward Sellier Jr., he is also known for creating the life and times of Grizzly Adams. Oh, my God. (laughs) My friend Adams was accused of a crime he didn't commit. So he escaped into the mountains, leaving behind the only life that he ever knew. Now, that wilderness out there ain't no place for a greenhorn. And his chances of surviving were mighty slim. Weren't no time at all for he was beaten down, ragged, and nearly stalked. Long about then, he come upon a grizzly bear cub, all alone and helpless. Now, Adams knew that little critter couldn't survive without his help, so he started right down that cliff, risking his own life to save it. <laughs> now that cub took to Adams right off. And that was when he discovered he had a special kind of way with animals. Yeah, and then on top of that, uh, became an evangelical evangelical Christian. Evangelical Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he like also abhor violence? Yeah, and, like yeah, that's the thing. It's... Which seems quite ridiculous considering the very graphic nature of this movie. Yeah. So before this movie, he made the Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, and then he made this. And then he went on to make, like, dozens more, like, Christian movies and TV shows. Maybe it was all, like, atoning for this. Yeah, it's really weird, though, because, like I said, Grizzly Adams came first, and then this. 
And then he, like, went back to his roots. I wonder if he knows Kirk Cameron. Uh, well, he's dead now, but I, I hope they knew each other. Well, I, I mean, I'm assuming it's a, it's a fairly small world, the world of Christian filmmaking, you know, since Hollywood is godless. You know, you, there's only a couple people who got your back. And are going to come to your sad birthday party full of Subway sandwiches sitting on tables. <laughs> I did look. The, the director was very uncomfortable shooting the death scenes. So the film's editor had to come in and be the co-director for the film. So it's Michael Spence is the editor. Right. What a pussy. The carjacking in the first one, like you said, Amelia, is there's there's no point to it. I mean, what's he gaining? The carjacker gains literally nothing. He doesn't even try to rob them first or anything. He just, he fucking no. whips out that, that Glock real fast and shoots the dad. Need a ride, Santa Claus? Well, no, not exactly. What's the problem? Oh, there's no problem. It's just that I ran into a little bit of lousy luck. Uh. Jump! Go! 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 Shoots the dad, rips off the mom's shirt. Yeah, I was gonna say it's very highly sexualized violence. It's uncomfortable, honestly. He, like rips her shirt open, you see the boobs for no reason. Uh, I also like how Billy just fucking hightails it out of the car, leaving the baby. Yeah. Well, yeah, what's the baby gonna do? He's just dead weight. It reminds me of I'm the oldest of three children and. When my brother was a baby, uh, one time my mother was in the gas station paying for the gas. A bee flew in the car. My sister and I fucking booked it from the car and left him strapped in his car seat. And I'm reminded of that every single time. Billy does not give a shit about this baby. Uh, maybe because it's ugly? I don't know. But <laughs> I mean, it could also just be that babies are a drag. <laughs> Uh, this movie is also good because it has that classic bad movie issue of because all the actors are amateurs, the lines between the pauses between each line is just it's like a beat too long um, so that we can insert our little barbs while we watch. And I remember well, last time we watched this when the mother, when they're on the way to visit Pop Pop in the orphanage, <laughs> Pop Pop in the Pop Pop orphanage. in the orphanage, <laughs> Pop Pop in the orphanage. <laughs> in in the in the in the rescue shelter for old folks uh when she's like santa claus is bringing you a big surprise this year and amelia just went yeah orphanhood (laughs) which i thought was very funny um but yeah there's very few recognizable names in this movie which as several imdb commenters have noticed is funny because the straight to vhs follow-ups that came out all have like relatively well-known people in them whereas the first movie here is devoid of really any notable actors linnea quigley's in it and um the guy who plays his boss at the toy store is uh brit leach who's wikipedia i mean imdb pardon me bio describes him as chubby and engaging which <laughs> Did he write that? Maybe. Linnea Quigley was like an 80s scream queen. Most people, I think, would probably recognize her if you're at all familiar with this kind of era of filmmaking. And then Britt Leach is Anthony Michaels Hall's dad in Weird Science. And one of the shitty cops in um, the movie Night Warning featuring our good Judy Bill Paxton. So that's it. Those are the only people in this movie that you're going to recognize or even have the potential to recognize. Everyone else is a no-name, which gives it... 
I, I think this is a little, little delightful. It does, it does add a certain certain level of charm to it, yeah. them all being amateurs. Well, I think it's a lot. I think one of the nuns is somebody, but it's not coming to mind, so whatever. Uh, you mean Mother Superior, who's Lillian Chauvin? I wasn't even thinking of Mother Superior. I was thinking of one of the other nuns, but you are right. Mother Superior is also somebody. So, okay. So, like, <laughs> four people out of this cast of, like, eight people, I guess, are well-known actors, kind of, if that's what you define as well-known. So my math was off, and also I'm wrong. But this movie's full. It's got a lot of really good lines. Um, one of my favorites is when Billy's working at the toy store because he has to get a job or whatever because now he's aging out of the orphanage. They're all working Christmas Eve. And then uh, Mr. Sims, Britt Leach, goes, 7 o'clock, it's over. Time to get shit-faced. 7 o'clock, it's over. Time to get shit-faced. <laughs> also, the other thing that's like odd in this is that it's filled with Christmas music, like songs and yes. carols that I've never fucking heard before. Because they're not real. I know they're not real, but it's like, it seems like a lot of budget that they didn't have to be spending on writing new Christmas carols. Santa's watching, Santa's creeping, now you're nodding, now you're sleeping. Were you good for mom and dad? Santa knows if you've been bad. There might be a treat for you in Santa's bag of toys. But Christmas won't be fun and games for naughty girls and boys. So the song that I would say is perhaps the most important of the original songs is Christmas Fever, which is a... Yeah. <laughs> a banger, obviously, <laughs> is what it is. Yeah. There's also the warm side of the door. Those are the two that I think oh of my mainly. God. <laughs> the warm side of the door, I, they set an entire montage to it. Like the whole thing's allowed to play. Allowed. It's allowed to play. <laughs> There's always There's also one called Christmas Flu. Ah. I don't remember Christmas Flu. Is it like flu as in the flu? As yes. in influenza? F-L-U. Like, man, that's a choice, isn't it? <laughs> I had Christmas Flu that one year. Remember when I got really drunk on New Year's Eve and then I started telling you guys my ideas for time travel? Oh, that's yeah, 2015. <laughs> was that 2015? Yeah. Fuck, we are Yeah, it was so because old. it was when um, Back to the Future 2 was like now. Oh. Yeah, it was when right. he went back in Back to the Future 2. That's when he went to. Yes, and I was talking about Back to the Future 2. I forgot my own time travel theories there for some reason. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were so good and based in reality. I also remember at the time because my Skype name was uh, Randolph Scott's Cornhusk Dolls, which is a really good <laughs> gag that we should bring back at some point. Um, that's the whole gag. It's just the idea that Randolph Scott 
makes cornhouse dolls. It's just a funny, funny concept. So if you're listening to this, you two are now in on the gag. You're welcome. You're welcome. Drop it into everyday conversation. Speaking of, I'm going to skip ahead to the second movie, and I hope you'll forgive me here. I just wanted to note that when we watched this movie in October in preparation for this episode, because we're extremely stupid of brain, I noted a lookalike for the actress who plays Ricky's girlfriend. And that lookalike that I wrote down oh, no. is John Hodiak. <laughs> so. Oh, God. Damn. I just remembered like mid-sentence as you were saying it where this was going and my heart just stopped. <laughs> Oh, God. We're going to have to do like a whole episode on John Hodiak just we to A, should. work out if he's worthy of our censure or not, and B, make it up to him if he's not. I'm going to assume he is because... He's a man. He's a man. But anyway, that actress whose name I don't care to remember or know, the John Hodiak lady, apparently she, according to IMDb, now works as a secretary for controversial conservative political activist David Horowitz, which <laughs> is a lot of words. For David Horowitz, and that's putting it mildly, I think, controversial conservative political activist. If you don't know who David Horowitz is, don't Google it because it'll put you on a list. Somewhere. It'll put you on a list, and the vitriol will just you'll fill you with rage. It's just disgusting. Anyway, so I'm not sorry for saying that she looks like John Hodiak if she's a fucking Islamophobe. So that's fine with me. John Hodiak looking ass bitch. <laughs> the other big thing from this movie is this is where the it can we call it a catchphrase when he billy our hero kills anyone it's always through the lens of that they're doing something that he deems as being punishable and so when he kills them he just says punish there you are you bad punish 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 so they never address where his seemingly superhuman like strength comes from. Is that like some kind of like orphan gym that he goes to and just like pumps up? Does he like or- <laughs> he like picks up people and like skewers them on antlers hanging on the wall? And it's just like I mean I never skip arm day, but I couldn't do that. What's he doing? I guess this was like the period when like Arnie's like pump and iron or whatever came out and maybe he was like watching that. Well, he works in a toy store, so maybe if you lift enough power wheels, you just just fucking jack. certainly yes. didn't get all the arm strength by jacking it because punish. There's also this movie could ostensibly be a conversation about clerical abuse but instead yep. it's just not which i think is a very bold <laughs> take how it's like he's abused in this orphanage and and mother superior is a horrible you know monster who uh you know he's the kid's obviously traumatized by his parents murder and blah blah but you know we're just not going to get into that you know punish he's going to go chop somebody's head off like when he finds those kids these teenage bullies one of whom looks like he's like a 43 year old sex offender push some other nerds off uh sledding hill so that they can sled and then uh one of them goes down first and then the other one's going down and of course we find out that billy's chopped his head off and so then it's just his head rolling down and it's just like you didn't have to do that and then in part two you hear ricky's voiceover and he goes like billy hated bullies like billy you don't know these people so mother superior is a bully like i guess that's what i'm saying it's like so that's the build-up like you know 
the comparison well, there. Well, I guess maybe because the director was obviously religiously inclined, do you think that maybe he steered it away from being admonishing of the church? I think it's possible, but he's also not religiously inclined enough to use any of the language properly because the terminology throughout the entire movie is very incorrect for anybody who has even like a baseline familiarity with Catholicism, which I also think is very funny. Well, I mean, he's not Catholic though; he's evangelical, so the, I guess that's where the disconnect is. That's true, but so but but evangelicals hate the Catholic Church and everything it stands for, so it's also like yeah, but so does everybody else. So it's not like actually, I've got his uh, Wikipedia page open still, and he began as a Cajun Catholic, later converted to Mormonism, and then to evangelical Christianity. Oh my God, it's like a buffet, just a smack. Exactly. Treating Jesus as a buffet. You know, well, then he should know that Christmas isn't a sacrament. Maybe that was one of the scenes the editor directed. That's true, because he doesn't, he didn't direct um, part two, so that's true. He would not know that Christmas isn't a sacrament. But yeah, so he he goes around punishing various people. Uh, I will say that he is chased by two extremely incompetent cops who firstly arrest a man in his house trying to deliver presents to his daughter while dressed as Santa Claus (laughs) and then shoot a deaf priest stone dead and then barely apologize for it. Like in front of children they shoot him. I don't understand how you could have mistaken Father O'Brien for the murderer in the first place. He was dressed as a Santa Claus. Captain Richards can explain everything when he gets here, man. I'm sorry for what happened, but there is a killer on the way here. They're just like, look, I'm sorry for shooting this priest, but we've got a killer on the loose. And it's like, yeah, it's you. You just shot a fucking deaf priest. And it's also very funny how Mother Superior is like, blue lives do not matter when the cop is like, well, I don't know, he was dressed like Santa. And she's like, shut the fuck up. But I mean, can we say categorically that priest was a good guy? Just knowing the Catholic Church and priests. Ah, you're not. No, no, we can't say that. So maybe he did deserve to get shot in the ass. Um, I do have a couple of facts about this film. No. Oh, no. Uh, it was released on the same weekend as uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> and it outgrossed it. No. What? Um, it did. It opened on the same day in 235 fewest theaters than A Nightmare on Elm Street um, and grossed more than A Nightmare on Elm Street. That is astonishing. Uh, it, it grossed like um, $1.4 million on its opening weekend. So, I mean, sucks to suck Wes Craven, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, apparently in, in part two, Ricky, um, the actor who played Ricky, one of the directors, because it had like two directors or something, and, like a co-director kind of a deal, and uh, well, assistant, whatever. There were too many people directing the actors, which is never good. You never want to have too many people directing the actors. But apparently they had like conflicting information for him about like how they should play the part. And one of the influences he was given was supposed to be Freddy Krueger. So they wanted it to be like lighthearted, like teenage Freddy Krueger, who's also like very menacing and hammy. <laughs> and that's kind of what he gave us. So Yeah, I mean he he responded to it. Yeah. Um but uh it was also this is straight from the Wikipedia page, but uh it was one of the most controversial films of the nineteen eighties due to its advertising campaign particularly its posters and TV spots that made significant emphasis on the killer being dressed as Santa Claus. Now, I can only assume this is something to do with Tipper Gore and her fucking weird shit, 
because it's like the PTA fought to have this film removed from theatres due to its subject matter and the fact it was shown around Christmas, although an earlier film with a similar premise, Christmas Evil, had gone unnoticed. <laughs> I think, like, the ads they aired during Three's Company and Little House on the Prairie, and it led to parents <laughs> complaining that their children would be terrified of Santa Claus. <laughs> and apparently... Angry families formed, like, groups of angry families formed at theatres and malls around the nation to protest the film. And protesters picketed um, at various theatres and sang Christmas carols in protest. I think this is very funny to me because I understand being mad about that airing during Little House on the Prairie, but your child probably shouldn't be watching Three's Company. (laughs) Oh, wow. When the film was castigated at length by Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, the backlash against the film became louder and more widespread. Wow, fueling the fire. Our good friend Ebert. Okay, I might be repeating myself, but I was watching um, a bunch of old Siskel and Eberts that somebody's posted on YouTube, and Siskel is wrong about everything. Oh, absolutely. So is, look... Roger Ebert is only right 50% of the time. Yeah. And I mean, when you're just giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down, that's already a 50-50 chance. So really, it's more like he's only right like 25% of the time, if you really think about it. I'm still thinking about Little House on the Prairie, man. (laughs) When are you not thinking about Little House on the Prairie? Well, yeah, that's the thing. I've seen every episode of Little House on the Prairie. I shouldn't admit that, but there it is. And there are some fucked up episodes of Little House on the Prairie. Like, they don't have, have the the boobs that this movie has but uh they get pretty wild i don't know feels like these parents weren't watching tv with their kids look i I feel like in the 80s people just were doing all things to make them look like they were taking care of their children without actually taking care of their children yeah it's kind of like the appearance of not neglecting them but still neglecting them uh which is why horror kind of flourished this time (laughs) Because boomers are terrible parents is what it comes down to. I mean, boomers are still fucking terrible. And they will be. That's the message behind this movie. Uh, Blue lives don't matter. And also boomers are going to continue inflicting their trauma onto the rest of us. Like, get over it. It's hard to talk about these movies because it's like the first movie is better. is, Is a better movie. The second one, though, is a more watchable movie because it's just the first one with all the pertinent scenes. All the fat is trimmed. And then you get a truly bananas framing device (laughs) of this kid sitting in the mental institution where he lives on Christmas Eve wearing a pair of sweet ass like like slightly like heeled slip-ons which is all the rage now this is all that like louis vuitton sort of mule slip-on things that's all the rage now i know trendsetter ricky's like institutional uniform get up i also is he institutionalized the same place as their grandfather was institutionalized in the old people jail good question in the old people jail old people jail old people orphanage i hope so <laughs> i hope that came full circle um wow that's that's sad uh <laughs> the only sensible person in this whole duology if you will i will continue to refer to it as a duology for the duration of this episode i wish you wouldn't is the orderly at the beginning of this movie who's got his eyes on the kid the whole time <laughs> like he knows yeah. he knows ricky's fucked Meanwhile, the psychiatrist thinks that he can outsmart Ricky. You know, he thinks that with his fancy book learned. But it's like, no, Ricky's just, Ricky's a wild card, man. Ricky. Doesn't play by your rules. Yes. Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. I would really suggest that people watch over Silent Night, Deadly Night 1, which is more even in tone. But this one has so many great concepts that are introduced to the Silent Night, Deadly Night uh, universe. One of which is that you can 
indirectly address a child's holiday-linked trauma by just adopting them out to a family of a different religious background, which <laughs> was hilarious to me because the the Catholic orphanage's uh, solution to Ricky being triggered by Christmas is to adopt him out to a Jewish family, which I thought was quite clever, actually. They closed the orphanage after that. You bet. But kindly Sister Mary was able to find me a family. The Rosenbergs. They definitely did not get involved with Christmas. But, you know, it doesn't work, And it of course. didn't even work because he just work. saw, like, he still nuns saw on Christmas the stuff. Yeah, exactly. He still saw nuns and, like, red fabric, which reminded him of Santa's jolly red fat ass. Which leads us on to our rant about Christmas and commercialism and how it's just not the same anymore. It's just all about buying presents. And it's like, oh, who gives a shit? Give your kid a fucking remote control helicopter. Who cares? It used to be about reliving your parents' carjacking murder <laughs> their gang style execution um another cool thing that this movie does is that when ricky and john hodiak girlfriend go to the movies <clears throat> the movie they see is just a scene from the first movie of the santa claus uh sticking up a gas station what did you say this movie was about oh it's great it's about this guy who dresses up like santa claus and kills people what? I'm holding you up, asshole. Punish. Ricky? Wait. 31 bucks. Merry Christmas. So, this is the man who killed his father and his mother and, you know, made him an orphan. But the footage is inexplicably there, and he's watching it in a movie theater, and you're really thinking, how dumb, how dumb do these people think we are? And the answer is extremely dumb, because you've sat through the first, like, hour and ten minutes of Silent Night, Deadly Night, too. That movie theater, too, I'm, like, 99% sure is just the, uh, like, interrogation room in the institution with some seats in it. Like, it's got the same like, padded walls. seats in it? Because you can only see, like, four seats in yeah. it. Yeah, I was going to say. Also, here's a cool fact. Um, So Chip, who, Chip the Twink, so he's just some, like, local hooligan who I guess is putting the moves on Ricky's John Hodiak girlfriend. Which, which Ricky doesn't like because, like, Ricky, for some reason, for some inexplicable reason, values her, the concept of her virginity. And it's just like, why? Like, what is his reasoning for this? Yeah, because Billy's the one who got the brunt of Mother Superior's, like, weird sex shit. Ricky yeah. Ricky didn't get any of that. Ricky might just have garden variety Catholic guilt here. Yeah, I guess. Know. I mean, they tried to just, they tried to make him, you know, a good Jewish boy, but he just, he carried, he carried that Catholic guilt so deep within him. It's in his DNA. Also, the other thing that I quite enjoy is that when he's recounting all of the thing, the first movie in his extended flashback, he, like, talks about things that he would not have been privy to and neither was Billy in the first movie. Yeah. Like, it's just like, this is nonsensical. Why are we doing it? <laughs> well, the timeline, too, just mathematically does not work. There's no absolutely no sense to that. Ricky should not be as old as he is. Also, Ricky and, at 17 and Ricky at 18 are two different actors. Yeah. Which we talked about. It, yeah. Yeah, I liked that. That was which cool. Which is a really nice touch, I think. Um, 
also the kid who plays Ricky. It's supposed to be like the ending of Silent Night, Deadly Night 1, and then the beginning of Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Like, not the beginning of the movie, but the beginning of the rest of Ricky's narrative. It's like, it's the same kid, but his hair is two different colors. I mean, there's a lot going on in this movie. That's <laughs> But I was going to say, so the, the guy who plays Chip, the, the har- harassing twink or whatever. And oh, then right. He, sorry. Know, Ricky, and it's okay. You people just derail me all the time, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> But when Ricky barbecues him with the, I don't know, the car battery or whatever. Anyway. So, <laughs> this is what you ended up with? If I known you'd sink this low, I never would have dumped you. Chip, you're a jerk. Why don't you just leave us alone? Come on. Don't you miss me? All those good times we had together. Chip... Homecoming. Chip! The hayride. That's enough. Oh, it speaks. I said, that's enough. Listen, bud. That guy is now a motivational speaker who has registered, like, trademarked his own name. So it's like Sergeant Ken is this guy's name because I guess he joined the military or whatever. And then, like, an R in the little circle, like G.I. Joe. And what does he motivate people on? Not getting his head smashed in with a bonnet? Uh, how to trademark their own name. I don't know. I think I looked it up and it was just like garden variety. Like, here's a military man's opinion on, you know, how to how to do something you don't want to do, you know, like detonate a bomb in a old people orphanage or whatever. I don't know what <laughs> single people orphanage is just so funny. Uh, no, I just thought, uh, yeah, Sergeant Ken, copyright Sergeant Ken, do not steal. <laughs> well, I guess maybe we then can talk about like why... What the great defining difference between this one is that for some reason Ricky he goes he starts on his killing rampage he kills the twink he kills his John Hodiak girlfriend and then he goes he kills the um psychiatrist that's in there with him after he's recounted his story and then he goes to kill Mother Superior who has like a gnarly face now after the events of the first film so she kind of looks like a gargoyle and that whole scene where he's trying to kill her. She's, like, ready to kill him. And she's still goading him on with her religious shit. And it's like, lady... You're looking well. I am your mother superior. As I raised you from a child, I order you to put that weapon down and take your punishment no more punishment you are being very very naughty naughty this she's like ready to fucking shiv him she's she is and the the power of christ compels her (laughs) the old lady makeup they have on her is like putrid i i wrote down the word I used in my notes was pestilential is how it strikes me. It looks me. like she's been like burnt with acid. Yeah. Like what is But that's supposed there? to be, I guess, like from the axe. No. Yeah, but that's not how that would axe work. In the face. I mean, they were right. Old people are gross and weird. <laughs> um, oh my so God. that's... <laughs> 
true to life. But but, I mean, it's a little bit excessive. (laughs) We were against elder abuse last week. This week, not so much, apparently. Extremely, radically pro. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that they are that way. It's just an observation. (laughs) She's not judging. Another really good part of this movie is uh, briefly alluded to, of course, throughout this whole episode, is the line delivery. And uh, what's the name of the actor who plays Ricky? So I can start using his actual name and just stop calling him Ricky from Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. His name is Eric Freeman. Eric Freeman, uh, a great thespian and an American hero. Eric Freeman, the line delivery is really good. Going too fast for you, Doc. Red car. Good point. Well, my thing is, if they had the very, very low budget that we know they had, why did they bother hiring an entirely different kid to play him at, like, two years younger? Why did they commission original Christmas music? You want to know how much the budget was for this? No, but go ahead. (laughs) $100,000. We could crowdfund the remake. The reboot. Well, it actually was um, Silent Night, Deadly Night was rebooted in 2012. What? Uh, There's a loose remake of the film titled Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, which was released in December 2012 with Jamie King and Malcolm McDowell. Oh, my God. God, Malcolm McDowell will show up to the fucking opening of an envelope, won't he? That is sad. But will he uh, show up to a recording of this podcast is what we need to know. Uh, I've got some No, he won't now that I just said that. But I want to congratulate him on my favorite performance of his, which is this episode of of Psych, where he plays a murderous uh, fashion designer. So Malcolm McDowell, if you're listening, I very much enjoyed that episode of Psych. <laughs> Your finest work, sir. But yeah, I, I think a real strength of this movie is the line delivery. I was watching Giant earlier with my mother. We were watching it and discussing the difference between how actors who are who are trained for the screen and actors who are trained for the stage how their voice carries when you're watching a movie on television because it's different from watching a movie in a movie theater and the soft-spoken nature of somebody like a rock hudson or an elizabeth taylor versus the much stagier inflection of somebody like a dennis hopper like when you're watching the giant dennis hopper's voice just radiates through your house you know uh, even if the tv isn't up that loud and we thought it was really interesting talking about hopper's kind of development as an actor and uh this movie is really interesting to me because you get to see a whole range of styles of performance and all of them are bad and uh (laughs) some are worse than others but you get some you get some really good bits like in uh, this argument on the playground following billy's punishment for watching two horny teens get at it don't blame him mother superior i told him he could come out stay out of this sister margaret william come here billy what's wrong your brother's in that case that's what's wrong no he's not take it back boys and then um, when Ricky's talking to the psych and his very first line in Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 just goes, fuck off, doc. My name is Dr. Bloom. You can call me Henry. Or if you would feel more comfortable, you can just call me doc. Fuck off, doc. But yeah, it's really, it's like, it's a master class in acting just like Giant. Really, I would say. I, I would show this just movie. Just like Giant. Just like Giant. You know, it's like when you when you watch old episodes of Inside the Actors Studio and you have these sad poor fucks who are paying, you know, $100,000 or whatever to go to a class and learn how to be a beefsteak tomato. And then they, they go see a working actor and they ask them for advice. And the advice always boils down to, like, drop out of college and, like, go audition for stuff. 
And um, if I were to meet somebody who had this professed desire to become an actor, I would try to dissuade them from that by showing them this movie. And be like, this is what could happen to you. You could become the garbage day man. Which then provides us a segue into the most notable moment from any of these movies, possibly the most significant cinematic moment of the 1980s, which is Garbage Day. Garbage Day? Huh? No! I'm looking at the the Wikipedia page for Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 right now because I don't think we clarified at any point that this is a bonus episode <laughs> where uh, we're, we're really freewheeling it. According to the director of Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, uh, Lee Harry, they tried to find Eric Freeman to participate in the commentary track, but they were unable to locate him at the time. Is he is he missing? Are we going to have to start an award-winning podcast? Like, where is Eric Freeman? Where the fuck did he Just go? Like, unfortunately, I know the answer to this. Oh, God damn it. he did the commentary for the Blu-ray. Oh. Oh, he was waiting. He was waiting until it came out in 4K. Yes. <laughs> go big or go home. Oh, damn. We could have had, like, a really popular podcast format come out of this. What could be a good investigative podcast that we could run? Maybe we can just hunt down what happened to all of, like, Weenie World. Searching for Weenie World. It's really fucked up to me that there are people on the internet who remember eating at Weenie World. But there's no images. There's no images of Weenie World. We should elaborate a little bit because I think we just kind of breezed through it in our, our previous episode. Um, Weenie World... As is our way. Weenie World is a restaurant. It was a franchise that was created by Mickey Rooney in like the 80s, I think, maybe the 70s. And the whole shtick was that it was like round hot dogs on round buns. <laughs> Um, Every time. You say restaurant, I say dining experience. <laughs> You're right. Like Planet Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he's an innovator. He's a go-getter. Well, I mean, the thing about Mickey Rooney. I mean, he's just getting, he's getting more hot dog in like less space. He's basically Marie Kondo. Minimalist king. He's really maximizing flavor is what he's doing. Mickey Rooney, yeah, he came upon hard times at various points in his life, including the end of his life. But sort of in the mid to late 20th century, he was like broke as shit. And he kept coming up with all of these completely insane inventions. Hairbrained schemes, I believe, is is the technical term for it. None of which I can remember off the top of my head right now. Um I'll have to we'll have to do like a special episode all about all about Ronk's inventions at some point. Weenie Row was one of them. And we've done lots of Googling and there are like people of a certain age who do recall going to various Weenie Row franchises, but there's just no evidence anywhere there are no pictures collective hallucination he's had like at least two different restaurants one being weenie will the other being mickey rooney star bq wasn't there a ronk hotel too at some point yeah there's a picture of the ronk hotel or at least of the um gigantic like cartoon ronk face that was attached to the hotel and then when the hotel was torn down i believe someone like took the big head the big ronk head and there's like another picture of it just kind of languishing in someone's yard so yeah that could be our investigative podcast just like figuring out what the hell happened there what a mystery what a mysterious little man i wonder what he spent his money on you know he had to have bought some really like arcane stupid shit like a cryogenically frozen like i don't know like there's got to be something like what did ronk did you buy a monkey at some point like oh joe will you wipe my mouth No, for Pete's sakes. Why is that monkey wearing a diaper? I thought he was housebroken. You know what? 
We are, no, we are totally fucking glossing over the one thing that makes us pertinent to this episode. He starred in a silent Silent night. night. (laughs) Mickey Rooney stars in Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toymaker. Merry Christmas! I fucking forgot that we hadn't mentioned that yet in this episode. Just taking that for granted that people know the Silent Night, Deadly Night chronology and have seen all of the movies. Well, I guess, yeah, getting back onto that, there are five silent night deadly night films in the uh canon only loosely connected to one another i'd say i don't even know if it's loose i believe everything after the second one is completely unrelated i could be wrong but oh yeah i i think they're all kind of standalone it's kind of like halloween season of the witch it's just it's fun fun little stories that... yeah it's just like halloween season of the witch <laughs> I, I was just gonna say i think it's funny how we completely glossed over uh, garbage Day, where that's the only thing that anyone knows from any of these movies. Talk about the history of Garbage Day. You guys are older than I am. I wasn't around when Garbage Day became a meme, okay? I was a child. How? What does our age have to do with anything? You guys yeah, remember this. using Ugh. the internet and being online when Garbage Day became When a did meme? Garbage Day you... become a meme? What? Apparently in 2008. You don't remember and, 2008? Um, I didn't have Wi-Fi in 2008, because I grew up in a rural desert community and I did not have Wi-Fi in 2008. Yeah, we would have had one we would have had one computer in 2008, like a family computer that I was allowed to have one hour a day on to do my homework. So I definitely wasn't au fait with the memes. <laughs> I mean, I still think it's so funny. Like I remember one time in high school one of my friends got caught cheating because she pulled out her like iPod touch and was using, like, the calculator on it in the middle of a math test. And now kids can just fucking, like, ask their Google Watch or their Apple Watch or whatever, you know, like, Siri, what's, you know, the square root of 86. That's fucked up. I hate kids. Well, I mean, I guess that's a good segue into us talking about the weird normalization of smart assistants. Because yesterday we watched the... Have you just been waiting for this conversation, just waiting to to segue into this this whole episode? Uh, I haven't, actually. This was just serendipitous. We watched the... I guess I guess it's on the same level of quality. Uh, the Vanessa Hudgens movie, Night Before Christmas. Alexa plays a bit of a role in it, which just made me made me very uncomfortable that we're just like cool with that, yeah. making her a fun hip character in this Netflix movie, when really it's an indicator of the end times. It's like when Alexa is on Jeopardy. They, they do these like interstitial commercial things during Jeopardy sometimes where Alex is just like talking to Alexa and I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Alex doesn't like it either. It's really like 1984 here. Like, what are we... We shouldn't be doing this. Shouldn't be, like, giving all our money to Amazon. Well, you shouldn't buy from Amazon anyway. You shouldn't support anything that Jeff Bezos does because he exploits his workers. And if you really cared about your fellow workers, you would not purchase things with next day delivery. But anyway, yeah, it's just this weird celebration of things that we shouldn't celebrate because they're bad for humanity as a whole. That really, really grinds my gears, uh, if you want to get into it. But yeah, like, people getting really excited for Disney+, Plus. <laughs> no, let's not do that. We should be getting excited for Silent Night, Deadly Night. I would like to see Silent Night, Deadly Night remade, starring Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda and Alexa. Alexa's the nun, Baby Yoda is Ricky. Who's Billy? Obviously Werner Herzog. <laughs> Well, Garbage Day, we should just briefly just, again, somebody say something about Garbage Day. 
because it's the only line from this movie that anyone knows. All right. Well, so in Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, there is um, a particular scene that was heavily memed on the internet we are led to believe, uh, although Candace is the only one who can produce any knowledge of this memeage. Um, and it is Todd knows Ricky. Garbage um, <laughs> this is character assassination. Todd also knows Garbage Day. Garbage Day. <laughs> It's like Ugandan <laughs> knuckles. It's a real meme. I mean, I'm yet to see evidence of that. I actually don't know what um, Ugandan knuckles the meme is about, though. So I maybe if that's something unsavory, don't tell me. It is. I believe it's quite racist. Oh, <laughs> the first meme that came to mind. Oh, no. I just cited a racist it's meme. It's not even a good fucking meme. You could have said I, It was just the meme, first like meme baby that came Yoda to mind. Meme. They will be through the whole episode talking about Baby Yoda meme. Okay, what's another meme that is like garbage day in the sense that it's a meme? Um, um, The troll 2, they're eating her, then they're going to eat me. They're eating her. And then they're going to eat me. Okay, oh all right. That's a much better comparison than you got Knuckles. Yeah. I don't even know what Knuckles is, okay? I don't... It's from Sonic the Hedgehog. Well, I've never consumed any <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog content. I'm not a racist. Like, apparently, the Sonic fans of the internet. How, are you, how is that a stretch? That is not a stretch to believe that the Sonic fans of the internet are racist. That's my point. They are racist and I'm not, because I don't even know what that is. And we've really learned some things today, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> okay all right back well okay. anyway bring it back together so all right. it became an, an a meme on the internet the scene of ricky saying garbage day before he dispatches a well-meaning neighbor coming out to say oh what's all this noise and then he gets fucking shot by ricky which you know would happen to one of us uh, innocent bystanders just trying to take out our trash uh and yep that's a garbage day given the sufficient reverence that candace demanded thank you so i just googled uganda knuckles and <laughs> one of the questions on google is is uganda knuckles copyrighted i don't even know i've just seen it referenced i have to emphasize i don't know what Tiff is going to have to cut this whole bit out. I don't know why you keep trying I know to clarify not going to. your position on Ugandan knuckles. About me not knowing what a Ugandan knuckle is. For the new year, Tiff is going to do a super cut of all the problematic <laughs> and dumb shit that you've said. Oh no! On your okay. birthday, okay. he's not just a racist meme. Apparently, he's also meant to be like uh, deformed. So this is even worse. So it's like a double heading of terrible. <laughs> this is why you should never reference things you're ignorant of. I just thought it was like 12-year-olds on TikTok. I didn't know that the 12-year-olds were going to be virulent racists. I just thought it was just a thing. Well, that shows you know nothing about 12-year-olds. So that, that Okay, that is a good point. You are correct there. Okay, so this week was a disaster because it's uh, it's coming up on final season and I got a lot of stuff due and editing the show takes a while. So we just had to Maybe like... Maybe you'll just never hear this episode and it'll pop up on Patreon in two and a half years when we finally have eight fans. And this will be the lost episode in which Candace references <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell i mean we always think it's terrible when it's like it's like you always think an exam has gone terribly right after it's happened but then you pass that's essentially how we feel with all the episodes we record so this might actually be quite a fun and illuminating episode i doubt it but it could be 
Well, um, we hope you enjoyed that if you indeed listened to this at all. We hope you join us next week for our continuation of our very merry season of films. Um, as always, you can catch us on social media on basket at pas- basket oh jesus christ at basket pod on instagram and twitter it would be great to hear from you um love to hear what you think of the show don't let us know what you thought of this episode because it's not going to be positive and um yeah merry christmas okay all right okay bye bye we'll punish you for not listening to this punish. episode punish. Put, in clip, put in a clip right there punish <laughs> All right. Okay, bye. to talk. All right. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) Punish! Anyway, you complained last time that you talked too much, so maybe just take a shh and listen, <laughs> and I'll explain this fucking plot. <laughs> <laughs>